Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talks here at the Abbey. Over the course of the run of Frank McGuinness's Observe the Sons of Ulster Marching Towards the Somme, I've been asking members of the cast about their approach to research, their approach to these young characters steeped in a hundred-year-old context, and if their preparation was framed, formed and fed by a piece of prose, a piece of art, or by pure instinct and osmosis. What follows is a series of short interviews that gives insight, heart and a vocabulary when all words fail. Enjoy these podcasts. I'm uh, Johnny Holden and I am playing the character of Martin Crawford, who is from Derrytown, right beside the river, uh, from Foyle Street. Uh, it's called Foyle Street because the river in Derry is called Foyle. Um, he's, um, he's the youngest in the division. He's the youngest of the eight men, uh, early 20s. Um, and he's big into his sports. He loves football and boxing, especially. Uh, and he's a, he's a very skilled sportsman as well. He's very good at football, especially uh, soccer. Um, he is um, he's incredibly fearless. And although comes into the barracks and the initial army situation uh, on his own, he doesn't come in as a friend as Millen and Moore and Nat uh, McElwain and Anderson do. He comes on his own. He's uh, he's ready to make friends wherever they may be. Uh, and he's com- he's completely fearless in that, and he doesn't mind confrontation in that sense, and he he'll stand up for himself, um, as you see in the play quite early on. And he's um, I think he's one of the only men who is affected, if I can say this positively, by the war in so much that he isn't he isn't shell shocked or scared by the war. He kind of he kind of relishes it in a way, and he's quite proud of his achievements. Um, he gets described by one of the other characters in the play uh, as turning into a machine, and is really one of the one of the one of the front runners in the in the group. I think in terms of in terms of how he fights on the battle battlefield and, and just the courage he has for such a young man. I believe Crawford signed up uh, for pride and patriotism. I think it was really it was something that he really wanted to get involved in and kind of protect where he's from. I think Crawford has such a a high value of home and family uh, and where he's from and proud from being from Derry and, and even more so the foil I think being right by the river that it was something that he wanted to protect and something that he felt he had the opportunity to protect by joining the army and, and kind of fighting for Derry and Ulster <clears throat> but uh, yeah kind of a patriotism and a kind of protecting where he's from yeah I think it's the one relationship that people really struggle with coming to see the play. I think, you know, you've got Millen and Moore who are good friends, uh, have known each other all their lives. It's quite, you know, we can all relate to a friendship. Uh, Anderson and McElwain are friends through work. We've all got friends through work. And then obviously there's the the love interest as well in the other relationship with Piper and Craig. So I think Rolston and Crawford, in that sense, are the odd one out in terms of their backgrounds, in terms of their professions in terms of the first time you see them speak on stage is the first time they actually meet um so in that sense they are the odd ones out and also when it comes to their beliefs and how they are as people are completely different um and although i think the reason they form a friendship is because they're the kind of two that are left over and everyone needs a buddy and you've got the group but you also need a, a kind of best friend and i think they were just the only ones left and early on you see Crawford standing up for Rolston and then you see Rolston standing up for Crawford and it was kind of who's left to be completely honest but they do form a real friendship and they really care for each other when me and uh, Marcus who plays Rolston were preparing the roles 
we thought exactly the same as I think everyone else is. Why on earth are these guys friends? And we both agreed that they're both quite kind-hearted people. They both really do look out for other people. Uh, and although that might come from different values and different beliefs and ideologies, they they have that core value together. So yeah, you kind of see them, they're kind of whoever's left, so they become friends for that reason. Um, and then you see their kind of heightened differences in the second half. Obviously, Rolston is incredibly self-centered in his faith, and obviously there's a big revelation which Crawford completely disagrees with. And I think Crawford, in that sense, very much acts, or at least is thinking in the same mindset as the audience. Um, Rolston has kind of gone on a mad one and is saying things that you don't hear in everyday life or even in a lifetime for most people uh, and the audience are very confused and I think Crawford is exactly the same but is extremely um, like I said caring but is I guess in that particular scenario is into tough love and kind of needs to slap him out of it um, is extremely direct is not poetic in any sense like Rolston or Piper is for example is incredibly direct doesn't like all that floral talk um, so in that sense I think their relationship really complements each other because uh, Crawford helps him in that in that kind of directness and kind of bringing him back, back down to earth I guess Crawford gets an awful time of it he gets thrown around in the first scene he gets beaten up in the next one then thrown off somebody's shoulders all within the space of about an hour to be honest as an actor I really enjoy that kind of physical aspect of it I think if you just have to sit down as an actor and speak some lines, it's not always the most interesting thing. So I kind of love the physical challenge of it as well and, and kind of maintaining that. Yeah, no, that's good fun. I enjoy all that. I think my approach to every character is very different, purely based on what the text is, purely based on what the character is and, and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's hard to go into a project like this not doing research on the war because that's the context they're in. But equally, I purposely didn't look at anything past the 1st of July 1916 because that was the day that it all happened and there was no need for me to look past that. Um, I'm an actor at the end of the day and I'm not a historian and there are guys who came into the rehearsal room really all in the process, some historians and their knowledge was astounding and we could just pick their brains and it was great to get some of that but I'm not a historian, I don't need to know all the facts and ins and outs. Having said that I still did research, I read a book on the history of the Ulster Division and I did some some research on the war, I went to museums, I was interested in um, some artwork that was kind of inspired, so some Francis Bacon and the kind of violence of that and uh, but I, a lot of what I was more interested in was the actual guys, the men. You hear numbers of the Somme, you know, 20,000 dead, 60,000 dead. Um, you hear numbers of the whole war of people who died. I think that really undermines the people that fought in the war and the, that they just become a number. That, that guy who died was number 1006 or whatever it is. And I think Frank has done such a fantastic job in this play of you getting to understand and getting to know some of these people and knowing their names. And uh, I know Frank said, I remember he said early on, he said, I've done all the research, so you don't have to. Uh, I think it's quite hard not to do any, but uh, he said, I've done all the work so that all you have to do is concentrate on these people. and. I think that is then the avenue I went down. I, I became far more fascinated in the people and telling the people's stories and in particular Martin Crawford's story and how he reacts within the situations that he's in rather than knowing every little fact about the war. Um, so I became far more fascinated in that and, and being truthful to 
a real person who did fight and die in the war and his name and his attitudes and his beliefs and his core values and his story. I trained at Royal Welsh, but I, gr I grew up in Ireland. Um, and I remember in the first week being so astounded at how little I knew about this and how little I knew about World War One and the Somme and mainly Ireland's involvement in it, I think. I, w I was astounded at how little the Irish education kind of taught in it, I guess. I mean, I didn't do le I didn't do Leaving Cert in history, so maybe they did more in that than, than I know, but I also find it kind of astonishing that we never learned about one of the worst days in, let alone war history, just history of humanity for pure brutality and stupidness and, and all the rest of it. And not only were there, like I'm from the Republic, not only were, th were the Ulster Division going, but there were, there were guys from the South who fought who fought in the war as well and died and lost their lives for that. Yeah, I, I, I'm far more fascinated with people rather than their nationalities a lot of the time, although I'm very proud to be Irish as well. Um, I think the loss of a life is the loss of a life and I think something so historic. It is, I, I find it fascinating that we don't learn about it in schools. Maybe the curriculum's changed since I was in school, but I feel like it is something you need to, people should know about. But equally, Frank knew very little about it before he wrote the play and he said to us he had very little interest in the war. He, he said he had no interest and knew very, very little about the Battle of the Somme, which came as a shock, obviously, because he'd written this play. And then he said he was teaching in Coleraine in the university there, and he was waiting for a lift in a car, and he saw a war memorial, and he saw all the names on him, uh, on the memorial. And he, uh, he said it really hit him. It really hit him that these guys had fought and died and that they were real people. Uh, and then he was teaching the next day, or a few days later, in a in the university hall and he saw all the young men in his class sitting there and he said it was a particularly boring lesson um, <laughs> for himself and the students apparently but he said he just imagined that all the young guys weren't there that they were gone and he said that even more than the statue really hit him and then from then on he grew a massive interest in the first war and the battle of the Somme and the kind of sacrifice and the blood sacrifice that was made especially on that day on the 1st of July um, and then started researching and, and wrote the play um, which was just as much as a shock to me that he wasn't interested to begin with as anyone else, I think. I've ta I, I, I know some people who used to be in the army and stuff, and I talk to them and they say, oh, I really like this movie about the army, but it didn't show the camaraderie of the troops or it didn't show the kind of laugh that they had. They were often having a laugh. Um, and this just completely summed it up, especially because within the play we go and leave and then you see us come back together as well. And it was just, uh, it just says, I missed the camaraderie of the troops when I was away from them. There was something about being in an army. You became a member of a big family. Uh, and I think it's completely true, especially in that last scene. The only, the only people that are going to get us through this are each other. Um, and you do become a family. Everyone knows the annoying habits about each other. We know that in a cast as well as being in an army as well. Um, and the other thing was uh, a letter. I, I read loads and loads and loads of letters and kind of first-hand experience of people in the war. But for my character, Crawford, this particularly resonated with me, uh, just to his approach in the war. Um, and it was actually from a guy from the 36th Division as well. And he said, Dear Father and Mother, I feel it is more than time that I wrote and told you something of the war, the wee war, as your dear sweet grandson called it. I'm still writing to Mr. Gafkin about his son, George. He got his death wound when fighting desperately side by side with me in the wildest hand grenade and machine gun fight man could ever live or die in. I am said to have absolutely no nerves. 
I saw over a hundred of our men blown to fragments by a big shell about 200 yards from where I was lying. It's turned midnight and I think I will sleep now. And that's the end of the letter. And I love, uh, I love the kind of flippancy of it. The, you know, he's seen hundreds of men die. He's seen some of his best friends beside him die. And yet, the men describe him as having no nerves. Um, and in the last scene of this play, Piper says to Crawford, I have to admire your nerve, man, for wanting a game of football in the trenches when they know they're going to be sent out that morning. Um, so that really resonated with me, that the fact that he had no nerves amongst this horror that was around him. And then the kind of nerve to sign off that, okay, uh, I'm tired now, I'm going to go to bed. Not, I love you or anything. Like, I'm going to go to sleep now is the last thing. And there's something really beautiful about it, but also kind of haunting and, and deadly in a way, I guess.